this. This is why. You guys, this, this is why. Greetings, fellow traveler on this rock tumbling through space. I'm Fred. This is my front porch. Come on up, have a seat, and let's talk a while. There are ideas to be discussed on this old set of nicely nailed together boards. Before we can begin this episode, I have to do something I've never been required to do before. I believe it to be essential for what you are about to hear. I need to give you what I believe is called a trigger warning. I'm going to be reading from Mark Twain's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. I am not nearly arrogant enough to believe I can change a single one of Mark Twain's words. He is, without the possibility of debate, one of the greatest writers America ever produced. His characters, living in an America that had not yet fought the Civil War, use language that I would never use myself. I prefer never to hear this particular word. George Carlin points out that words are simply sounds and collections of letters. They are neither good nor bad in and of themselves. What is good or bad is the intention of the user. Twain's intention is to give us a look at a specific time in American history. He is creating characters that are true to the time in which the book is set. They use the language that was common to that era. We have advanced considerably as a society since then, but this word has been used for hundreds of years by people with evil intent. Some in the black community have reclaimed the word for themselves as part of what is called black English vernacular. It's not for me to decide whether they can use the word. I may choose only for myself. I choose not to use the word in any other circumstances. There are still people who use the word to show hatred. I choose not to be among them. So, you're about to hear Pap's rant about government from Huck Finn. I'm going to follow it with my own rant about our current government, particularly its unemployment system, at least in Arizona, where I am more familiar with it than I ever wanted to be. What's the point of connecting these two very different ideas? That's for you to decide. So, join me on the front porch of a cabin on the shore of the Mississippi River, just less than two centuries ago.
I got the things all up to the cabin, and then it was about dark. While I was cooking supper, the old man took a swig or two and got sort of warmed up and went to ripping again. He'd been drunk over in town and laid in the gutter all night, and he was a sight to look at. Body would have thought he was Adam. He was just all mud. Whenever his liquor begun to work, he most always went for the government. This time, he says, Call this a government? Why, just look at it and see what it's like. Here's the law. A standing ready to take a man's son away from him, a man's own son, which he has had all the trouble and all the anxiety and all the expense of raising. Yes, just as that man has got that son raised at last and ready to go to work and begin to do something for him and give him a rest, the law up it goes for him. And they call that government. That ain't all, neither. The law backs that old Judge Thatcher up and helps him to keep me out of my property. Here's what the law does. The law takes a man worth $6,000 in upwards and jams him into an old trap of a cabin like this and lets him go round in clothes that ain't fitting for a hog. They call that government. Man can't get his rights in a government like this. Sometimes I've a mighty notion to just leave the country for good and all. Yes, and I told him so. I told old Thatcher so to his face. Lots of them heard me and can tell what I said. Says I, for two cents, I'd leave the blamed country and never come near it again. Them's the very words. I says, look at my hat. If you call it a hat, but the lid raises up and the rest of it goes down till it's below my chin and then ain't rightly a hat at all, but more like my head was shoved up through a junted stovepipe. Look at it, says I, such a hat for me to wear. One of the wealthiest men in this town if I could get my rights. Oh, yes, this is a wonderful government, wonderful. Why, looky here. There was a free nigger there from Ohio, a mulatter, most as white as a white man. He had the whitest shirt on you ever see, too, and the shiniest hat. And there ain't a man in that town that's got as fine clothes as what he had. And he had a gold watch and chain and a silver-headed cane. The awfulest old gray-headed nabob in the state. And what do you think? They said he was a professor in a college and could talk all kinds of languages and knowed everything. And that ain't the worst. They said he could vote when he was at home. Well, that let me out. Thinks I... What is the country a-coming to? It was election day, and I was just about to go and vote myself if I weren't too drunk to get there. But when they told me there was a state in this country where they'd let that nigger vote, I drawed out. I says, I'll never vote again. Them very words I said, they all heard me, and the country may rot for all me. I'll never vote again as long as I live. And to see the cool way of that nigger. Why, he wouldn't even give me a road if I hadn't shoved him out the way. I says to the people, why ain't this nigger put up for auction and sold? That's what I want to know. And what do you reckon they said? Why, they said he couldn't be sold till he'd been in the state six months. And he hadn't been there that long yet. 
There, now, that's a specimen. They call that a government that can't sell a free nigger till he's been in the state six months. Here's a government that calls itself a government and lets on to be a government and thinks it's a government, yet has got to set stock still for six whole months before it can take hold of a prowling, thieving, infernal, white-shirted free nigger and... Pap was going on, so he never noticed where his old limber legs was taking him to. So he went head over heels over the tub of salt port, barked both shins, and the rest of his speech was all the hottest kind of language. Mostly over at the nigger and the government, though he'd give the tub some too, and all along here and there, he hopped around the cabin considerable, first on one leg and then on the other, holding first one shin and then the other one, and at last he let out with his left foot all of a sudden and fetched the tub a rattling kick. But it weren't good judgment because that was the boot that had a couple of toes leaking out the front end of it. So now he raised a howl that fairly made a body's hair raise. And down he went in the dirt and rolled there and held his toes. And the cussing he done then laid over anything he had ever done previous. He said so his own self afterwards. He had heard old Salberry Hagen in his best days, and he said it laid over him too. But I reckon that was sort of piling it on, maybe. After supper, Pap took the jug and said he had enough whiskey there for two drunks and one delirium tremens. That was always his word. I judged he would be blind drunk at about an hour and then I would steal the key or saw myself out, one or t'other. He drank and drank and tumbled down on his blankets by and by, but luck didn't run my way. He didn't go sound asleep, but was uneasy. He groaned and moaned and thrashed around this way and that for a long time. At last, I got so sleepy, I couldn't keep my eyes open all I could do and so before I knowed what I was about, I was sound asleep and the candle burning. An open letter to Arizona's United States Senators. The following has been edited for clarity and to avoid redundancy. Dear Senator Cinema and Senator McSally, I left a voicemail a few hours ago, but I didn't have time to explain myself properly. I'm going to do that now. First, I'm asking that you help the Senate to pass legislation that will keep the President from sending unidentified federal agents into cities in unmarked vans to kidnap protesters from the street. This behavior is the beginning of fascism. The officers refuse to identify themselves. They have no badges. They can't be identified. The protesters are not told for what they are being arrested. They are not being read their Miranda rights. We must act to keep the president from violating our civil liberties. This isn't a matter of inconvenience. This is about the right peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. BLM is protesting about the unreasonable police brutality we have all witnessed repeatedly. They are advocating for change, 
This isn't simply their right, it's their moral duty. Please support Bill S.220. While you're at it, I need to ask you to help your constituents in general, and then this constituent specifically. First, between 30 and 40 million Americans are now unemployed. This is not our fault. The pandemic has made many of our jobs impossible to do. We are not lazy. We are not wealthy. We need your help. With the provisions of the CARES Act expiring soon, many of us will be facing eviction because we can't pay rent. Before I go any further, I want to be clear that I am not threatened with eviction myself, but only because my landlord is my best friend's boyfriend. I'm safe from homelessness, but I haven't been able to pay them, all my roommates and I owe them, for months. I'm living off of their charity. We are also about to be unable to buy even the most basic groceries. When the unemployment some of us, but by no means all of us, particularly in Arizona, are getting, runs out in the coming days, we will be unable to survive. Whether we ought to or not, we live in a world in which money is essential to survival. We have set up a system in which one is forced to work by the threat of homelessness and starvation, while a permanent universal basic income that frees us from those chains would be ideal, I would be satisfied with granting the American people, all of the American people, an income until the end of the pandemic. Then we can go back to work and earn money again. It's unreasonable to assert that we should all have been better prepared. 40% of us can't afford a $400 emergency. You'll find the link to support that claim in the show notes. There's no way we had three months of savings. I'm among those who don't even make it paycheck to paycheck. I've eaten more than my share of ramen. Please support legislation that will bring real relief to Americans and concern yourself less with the corporations who have the money to buy their will. I promise American Airlines won't need a GoFundMe to pay rent next month. I've had to do four in the last three years. I will never do another. It's too humiliating. And now for a personal request. My name is Fred Eater. I taught elementary school for 29 years, the last 12 of which were here in Arizona. I quit my job in 2016 because I couldn't do it anymore. My health was shot. What I loved about teaching was gone. My efforts needed to concern tracking data that proved absolutely nothing of value about my students or their abilities, filling in information and uploading artifacts. Don't ask what they are, no one knows. On a website to prove that I could teach and creating bulletin boards of nonsense about our plan, do, study, act curriculum. 
I couldn't have fourth graders perform Hamlet anymore. In fact, I couldn't even have them read any real literature anymore. I wasn't allowed to show them that reading is the most exciting and rewarding experience a human being could have anymore. Instead, they learned reading is something you do to pass a mind-numbing test on a computer that may or may not work on any given day. No more Sherlock Holmes mysteries to grab their attention, stretch their vocabulary, and engage all of their critical thinking skills to figure out what happened to Helen Stoner's sister, Julia, who died alone in her own bedroom with no evidence of violence or poison. No more watching the gears begin to turn in their heads when we learn that Helen is now being forced by her stepfather to move into the same room in which her sister died. The stares of wonder when they read that Julia heard strange low whistles for a few nights before she died were confirmation that I was getting through. The terror they felt in watching Julia stumble from her room, dying, gasping about, the band, the speckled band, showed me they were experiencing catharsis. The fact that many of them went home to download and read the rest of the story before we could finish it in class because they were desperate to find out why Helen is now hearing the same low whistles in the middle of the night in the very bed in which her sister died, told me they were becoming readers. I felt great. I'm sorry those days are past. I will always miss them. I pulled what was left of my retirement, lived on it for a while, and then got a job selling direct TV for a few months before I returned to teaching defensive driving. I wasn't getting wealthy, but as long as I had roommates and food stamps, I could survive. Then came the pandemic. I haven't worked since March 15. My company can no longer do classes safely. They hoped to open again in August, meaning I might have a paycheck as early as September 15th. With the pandemic spiking in Arizona, that's incredibly unlikely. I applied for unemployment once, some time ago. July 16, Facebook post. Aside from the fact that my brain is shutting down at a frightening rate, I am a reasonably intelligent man. I have a bachelor's degree, and people let me teach elementary school for 29 years. I'm at least as intelligent as the average person. And yet, the unemployment office and the hoops through which I am required to jump are beyond my ability to comprehend. I filed a claim several months ago. They told me I didn't make enough money to qualify. Several weeks later, for reasons passing understanding, they sent me a big check. 
Yay! They didn't send anything else. So, I got on the computer with both of my roommates to file another claim. I had them help me make sure I did it right. It took quite a while, but the site said I could have unemployment. Yay! They sent me a letter telling me how to get unemployment. They sent me a card they would fill with some money. How awesome! I've had a, the, I've had the card for a week. Every morning, I call to see if there's any money on it. There's not. Today, we tried calling the unemployment office to ask what's happening. Yes, I know. That was a waste of time. I'm more likely to talk to Valerie Bertinelli than to a human being at the unemployment office. They did have numbers to press to give you information about your claim, though, so instead of throwing my phone across the back porch, I pressed the numbers. The computer says there is no claim. We got back on the site today and did it all again. Here's my point. If I can't figure it out, and my college-educated roommates, one of whom is young enough to understand computers properly, can't figure it out? How do they expect those with less intelligence than ours to be able to get help? If we're going to defund the police, perhaps we could direct some of the budget to hiring sufficient staff to make the system work properly. But this wasn't all. It was far from it. This is a second Facebook post from last Sunday. Adventures in Arizona Unemployment. Sunday is the day you have to return to the unemployment site to beg to get back some of the money you have been paying in for four decades. This week, it decided I needed to have a new pin. They have a tab for that. Click. Now it says you have you have to use the site you're actually using and start over. Click back. You're not allowed to click back. You have to start over. Close Chrome, start again. Click File Weekly Claim. Enter Social Security Number. Done. Enter PIN. Done. Need to reset PIN. Click Reset PIN. You can't reset PIN online. You must call. Obviously, they aren't open on Sundays. I call that number three times a day. I can't even get into the queue to begin waiting countless hours. Due to the pandemic, we have no space left in the queue. Please try another time. If this were just for customer service because my phone or computer isn't working, I would blow it off. This isn't that. This is the only money I can get. How many thousands of others are going through this? I make almost $300 a month from my podcast now. I'm incredibly proud of that. I'm working on getting a voiceover company to hire me for a project. It won't be much, but if I land the gig, it's a little more. None of the people desperately trying to make the website work caused the pandemic. None of us collapsed the economy. By definition, none of us just decided to quit working. And yet, 
none of us can pay rent. None of us can buy groceries. Well, I suppose I could go down to the unemployment office. Oh no, sorry, that's closed. You can't do it online because the software doesn't work. You can't call because there aren't enough people to answer all the calls. You can't go to the office because they want you to do it online. I would be homeless right now if my landlord wasn't my best friend's boyfriend. I would be starving if not for the little bit I get in food stamps. I would be roasting if not for my roommates who help keep the electricity on. I'm one of the lucky ones. I just have basically zero financial value. How is this okay? I'm told by several people I should have a donate button on my page. First, I don't know how to do that. Second, what have I done that means I should become a beggar? How does that make me look in the eyes of those I love? And most people are worse off than I am. Something needs to change immediately. I had quite a few responses from that post. People offered advice. Among the ideas my friends suggested was writing to my elected representatives. That's why you're getting the letter. A few days later, that post was followed by a third one. The Further Adventures of Arizona Unemployment. I had to reset my pin. This can be done, the website says, only on the phone. I called. The first time, I was only on hold half an hour. For the first time in three weeks, a human being actually spoke to me. She took my social security number and said I could establish a new pin. I asked her to wait while I ran inside to try it. She asked me to do a survey. I said I would after I managed to make my pin work. I also asked if I was ever getting any unemployment. She said they are just very behind, but I would. I arrived at my computer. I typed in the azui.com address. She sent me to the survey. I gave it a three out of five. The call disconnected. I went to the established pin tab. I entered the information. What I entered didn't match their information. I can't do my pin on the internet. I have to call. I used language I won't use on the internet or in an email to a senator. I came back outside to call. I pressed all the right buttons. I waited for 35 minutes. Then a recorded voice told me they were full and to call back tomorrow. I'm writing to my elected representatives today. I hope to receive at least a form letter in return. Personal note, I actually did get a form letter from Martha McSally and I got a form letter from Kirsten Cinema or from their office. I also left them both voicemails. Um, the other day, Kirsten Cinema's office called me and said they are going to get someone to look into my claim and try to expedite it for me. Nothing has happened yet, but I want to put that on the record. I am grateful to Senator Cinema's staff. Meanwhile, I live off of almost $300 a month between Anchor and Patreon. My podcast is paying me, but not providing enough 
even to pay rent. And I'm one of the lucky ones. Arizona unemployment doesn't work. Then, and this is the really infuriating part, one of my friends made this comment. Looks like you're on the wrong site. You need to be on the new one, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash PUA.AZDES.gov forward slash BossNet forward slash default dot ASPX. Once you get your login figured out, use this link, not the old DES one. Seriously? I was on the site I was supposed to use. It was the site to which I was sent by Arizona's Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Portal, who sent me the email saying I was qualified. There are two different websites, and only one of them actually works. How is anyone supposed to get the money we need to survive this pandemic? I'm asking now for your help. I would like for you, please, to see if you can expedite my unemployment claim. I am living in abject poverty. I believe you can help. I'm asking for you to do that. Thank you. Fred Eater. You call this a government?
It's time to thank people. I'm starting this week with Jane Austen, which is, of course, a pseudonym for someone who is my latest unofficial patron saint. She donated $100 to the show, and that meant I could keep the electricity on and not roast to death this month. I can't begin to give tongue to how grateful I am. Thanks, Ms. Austin. I also received a one-time donation from Alexis Ruhrmund, who particularly enjoyed the Time Jumper episode. That made me feel fantastic. I think I have figured out who she is, but I think she may have gotten married since I last saw her at Sunrise Elementary School four or five years ago, and that would account for the change in her name, which I feel certain I mispronounced. I apologize for that. Thank you, Alexis. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do it at, at, you know, the at sign, fred-eater, that's at sign, F-R-E-D-E-D-E-R, on Venmo. There's a picture on my page that will help you verify it's the right one. I'm wearing a t-shirt, and I have a lanyard around my neck. That's the one. And thank you to Robert Blanker, a student of mine from 25 years ago who helped me to complete the starship Jenner is sending me. Within less than a month, you should be hearing a much better sounding show than I've ever been able to do alone. I'm excessively excited. I now have to spend some time because I have so many people to thank that it's going to take a little while, but it's time I'm ecstatic to spend. Let's start on Patreon. I still don't have an official patron saint, and that's not surprising when so many of us are broke. If I ever had one, you'll be the first to know. My producers are Coralie Day with Scott Knight and Edith Keeler. Thanks, folks. You're going way above and beyond, and I want you to know how glad I am you can help the show this much. Thank you. My patrons are Joe March, Kevin Boyce, Sherlock, the mystery patron, and Zareph. The latest addition to this elite group is Utopia 42. I'm thrilled you could join us, Utopia. Thank you very much, patrons. You're awesome. My sponsors are Laura Engram, Linda M. Crotton, Elizabeth Bennett, the Mindwave Podcast, to which you should listen often, and Michelle Freeman. The latest additions are Scott Shelby and Virginia Rupert. Thank you, sponsors. You rock. My supporters are Corey, Christopher Hitchens's friend, and Natalie Fredrickson. My most recent supporters are Chuck Curry, an exceptional musician, and Mark Rosma, an extraordinary writer. We have also just added Christine L. Patterson. Thank you for your support. You help more than you think. My tearless friend is Jereen Elkins. Thank you, Jereen, so much for being my very first contributor. I have a new gratitude to express this week. I don't understand Instagram. If you see the Front Porch podcast there, it's because of a friend I haven't seen in something close to 40 years, Natalie Fredrickson and her son, Winston. They ask me what to put in there, and they figure out how to do it. 
Their efforts have helped to grow the audience. I'm grateful to them. Winston, your letter concerning Picard was fascinating. I have every intention of writing to you, but I want to give the task the attention it deserves. Thank you for finding the time to share your ideas with me. It's important to remember the anchor supporters, too. They're vital to making this show function. Thank you to Lori Shea, Cindy Mandel, Corey, again, Zara, Michael J. Clark, and Stacy Height. Piper K. Young also just joined up. Thank you also to Carrie Dedeo, an extraordinary writer whose book, Nothing But a Song, is a wonderful piece of young adult literature you should read. She just joined us this week. I consider us all a little community, part of a growing neighborhood. At first, it was just the Radley porch down the way, but now we're part of the Mindwave neighborhood, and I'm meeting more and more neighbors there. I hope you'll go and borrow a cup of sugar when you need one from some of our neighbors. I recommend the Mindwave podcast hosted by Jenner Zeno, the Moving Forward podcast, which spawned this show and is hosted by one of its supporters, and that other Laura Engram, hosted, shockingly enough, by someone quite different from the one on Fox and also a supporter of this show. Their ideas are similar to mine, but their presentation styles are all different. For now, here on the front porch, we'll continue as a hopeful community, changing one idea in one mind at a time. I love you folks. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll come visit the porch again soon. Until then, look for all the episodes on your favorite podcast app. We're on just about all of them now. Take care of yourself and each other. <laughs>